morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. It's a beautiful morning that the Lord has made and given us. Um, let's stretch our legs a little bit, get up, and we'll uh, invite the Lord again into our presence. Lord, we thank you for assembling of ourselves together this morning. Not, a, not the manner of some is that, uh, that don't do this, Father, but we love to do this, to get to know you, to love you uh, more, Father. Show us how to love you more today. Open up our hearts, make our hearts soft and malleable and turn them into powder so that you can add water to them and make us into soft um, mud, as it may. Lord, to turn us into vassals that are fit for your kingdom. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you all to open up your Bibles in front of you to Nehemiah chapter 4. And we will study this whole chapter today. We'll go through it. And it has to do about building walls. Brother Richard spoke about Christ being the chief cornerstone. This is very fitting and, and going on and how we can build walls in the kingdom. Walls that will protect, walls that protect from the enemy. And my uh, title today is Being Watchmen in the Kingdom of God. Being Watchmen. And this chapter is filled with symbolism and analogies that I want you to think of as I go through this chapter. Think of the Kingdom of God. Think of your responsibilities in the church. Think on how this chapter beautifully is symbolic to the body of Christ. And we've all, we're all very familiar with this chapter, but um, let's put our hearts to it and think of what we can learn today. Nehemiah chapter 4, we will read from, um, from 1 to, how long does it go? 23. Yeah, 23. Just 23 short verses. Chapter 1. Or chapter 4, verse 1. And it came to pass, when Sambel had heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation, and he mocked the Jews. The scoffers came. Verse 2. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and he said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? There is nothing left. Give up. Go home. End the story. Verse 3. Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Look at the sarcasm. The mocking. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of, of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Verse 6, So build we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. We'll come back to this verse. The people had a mind to work. They had a mind to do what it takes. They had a mind to persevere. They had a resolve to finish this work. They had a vision for the end. Verse 7. And it came to pass 
that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. That means they were very angry. Verse 8, And conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and hinder this great work. Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayers unto our God, and we set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearer of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. There was a lot of visual reason for discouragement, is what I see in that verse. Verse 11, And our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come into the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. The situation seemed hopeless. Verse 12, And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came and said unto us ten times, they said ten times, from all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Their own people discouraged them from building the wall. They had no vision for the work. Their own people. Verse 13. Therefore said I in the lower place behind the wall and on the higher place, I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked up and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us that God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall and every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants Wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both spears and shields and bows and breastplates, and rulers were behind all the house of Judah. This is a wonderful picture of readiness and dependence on the body of Christ. Do you see this? That the, that the body of Christ is made up of so many different talents. One is watching while the other is working. What a beautiful picture. Verse 17. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens, and those that, that laden, every one with one of his hands, wrought in the work, and the other hand held a weapon. Verse 18. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so build it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, when we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In that place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye hither, thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be guard to us and labor unto the day. 23, so neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. Amen. The work was extremely intense. They could never lay down their guard while they were without the wall. Similarly, there are times and seasons when a church of God has to do certain things that cannot wait. 
They cannot put it off. These times are when the church is exposed to the enemies of God, and certain holes need to be immediately covered and fixed. That is very intense. Now, I was going to say the church has always has to be this intense, but the people would faint if they were always this intense. But we need to be watchful all the time. These people did not bathe. Imagine that. They were so, they, they needed to finish that work. This is a great piece of history for the Jews and is very thought-provoking, especially considering how this great analogy to the building and protection of the church. Practically, I think of a church that is broken down. It's need of a major repair. It might not be totally broken down, but it's full of fractures. It's been destroyed by the enemy. You can see it all over the place. Everyone knows it's been destroyed. Here comes the brethren. They have a vision of love, unity, and they are of the same mind. They have a vision of what it's going to look like when they are done. And then come the scoffers. You will always have the scoffers. These are the skeptics, the pessimists, the egotists, the mockers, the cynical, and the doubters. They are all around us as well. They come and visit from local and afar. They offer little to no encouragement in what you're trying to do. That is normal. Do not lose heart because of these people. But the brothers have a vision of what it once was and what it can turn into again. They also have a mind to work. Because of their persistent vision for the end goal, they press on regardless of the scoffers. They arm themselves from the attacks of their enemies. They turn to God in prayer for strength and protection. They depend on God, the chief cornerstone. They look to God for direction, not to, eat, not to other men. Most importantly, their hearts are united in their vision. No enemy can thwart that vision. They had an end in mind and they did everything in their power to fulfill it. They trusted in God. They listened and depended on each other. They prayed together. They were sure that if they engaged the enemy, the Lord would intervene and fight with them. Let us draw a comparison to this story. The workers, watchers, fighters are the brothers and sisters that are building this church. The wall is the church, the body of Christ. I would argue that it cannot be a single household. The wall was important because it served as a hedge and protection from the enemy. Note that the wall was worthless without the workers. And also note, the church is worthless without its members. It's just an empty building. Just like our physical body is worthless without its many members. The enemies of the church were Sanballat, Tobiah, Arabian, and Ammonites, and Ashdodites. But, how, but now can be a number of different things. The following are some of the greatest enemy of the church. Number one is discouragement. We all know what that looks like. Discouragement. Disunity. Not being equally yoked together. Different visions and doctrines within the church. Do not confuse different outlooks. Different practical opinions. Different levels of discernment or as disunity. 
That's not really not disunity. These are strengths in the church and should be channeled with love as constructive and critical dialogue. It is necessary in a church. Different opinions, different outlooks. It is necessary. It is not disunity. Bitterness or unforgiveness is perhaps one of the greatest cracks an enemy to a church when one does not forgive his fellow man or, or fellow sister. Disrespect to one's opinion, position, or outlook. Miscommunication, not listening enough or surmising how someone is, is or is thinking. Rebellion to God, leadership, or each other. When one is in rebellion to God, he is also in rebellion to the leadership and the brethren. Selfishness, self-seeking, always seeking to fulfill the desires of yours truly. Coldness, distant from God and their brothers. This enemy is a bad one in our church. It's often an enemy that is unseen and often ignored. We cannot downplay or warn of coldness and lukewarmness in ourselves and our fellow brethren especially in this 21st century. It is our, one of our greatest enemy, is lukewarmness, coldness. Ever comparing to oneself and others and not to God, following men instead of God, or using the lukewarm temperature of the church as the rightful temperature instead of the word of God. And all these overlap a lot. There is rarely just one of these points amiss. All these cause cracks and crumbling within our walls church and a church serves as a protection a hedge about us all, all these are works of the flesh and not the works of the spirit all are designed to tear down the walls of protection all will hinder Jesus Christ's work and testimony and all of us have contributed to this disunity in one form or another we all have to look in the mirror nobody is blameless at all times, the church is surrounded by a number of these enemies that threaten our unity. All are seemingly trivial things, but the spirit of them is threatening to dismember us. All of us have been in situations where we felt very strong in certain directions. Indeed, so strong that we failed to see that we were alone in our opinion, and we are the lone man fighting for this thing. Our scope of vision being so constrained that all we see is the direction we wanted to go, the purpose we wanted to fulfill, the purchase we wanted to make or the trip we wanted to take. This situation is so zoomed in, we cannot see anything but this selfishness and self-centered direction. In reality, Satan can blind us to think that nothing is worth more than to go this certain direction, no matter what the damage it could create or disunity it could cause. All of us have a decision to make on a daily basis that sets the course of not only our personal life or family, but also the church. All of us carry the responsibility of protecting the church from our common enemy. All of us carry the responsibility of protecting the church from our common enemy. If we find ourselves alone or almost alone in a certain idea or direction, and we continue to push that direction, we expose ourselves to the enemy. It's like one or two soldiers walking out of their rank, leaving their guns behind and walking into enemy territory. They are looking straight ahead. They don't see the dangers. They are not listening to superiors. If they don't stop and make their way back soon, they will be killed by the enemy. 
Proverbs 11:14, where the new counsel is the people fall, but in a multitude of counsel there is safety. Proverbs 24, 6, and by wise counsel thou, make, thou shalt make thy war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. What really matters? I once saw a picture hanging on a wall in the house of a dear brother. There was a picture of two homes. One was a mansion, the other was a plywood shack with holes and tarps over the top. We can all envision these two scenarios. These two pictures were drastically different. One said rich, the other said poor. One represented ease and riches, the other poverty. Immediately under this picture was a six-foot grave hole. Both had identical picture of this grave hole. One said rich, and the other said poor. But they're all the same. Our end is the same. We all end up in this hole. So what really matters? We brought nothing into this world and we'll carry nothing out. Everything that we worked so hard for, we fought so our opinions mattered, it will not matter in the end. And there's nobody that needs to understand this more than myself because I'm pretty opinionated when it comes to certain things. They're not all spiritual. What really matters? I will venture to say that 90% of our enemies here in Altona are trivial things that are easily thwarted if we had a right relationship with God and perspective of life. That's not only Altona, that's everywhere. A million things don't matter anymore when we are faced with reality, that and eternity. A lot of these things will be brought in their proper perspective. Only what was done for Christ will matter. The work we did for the kingdom or lack thereof will be starkly obvious. What have we done with our talents? Do we multiply them or bury them? All of our material belongings and treasures we worked so hard for will be the hands of someone else. There will be nothing anymore. Our relationship and reconciliation with our brothers and sisters will be extremely sensitive. The work we put into our wives, children, and fellow brethren will be extremely precious, or the lack thereof will be very disappointing. Amen. How are we watchmen? How are we watchmen in the kingdom? The people had a mind to work. They had a vision. They were united in their vision to rebuild the wall. We need to be united in our vision to build Christ's kingdom through the vessels of our church. Our church is an engine. It's a, it's a body. It's made up of, of you, its many members. They had a strong faith in the God of Jehovah. We need to have a strong faith in God's working hand in our lives and our brothers that the situation we put, he puts us in, that he is strong and able to lead us and deliver us. They warned each other of approaching danger. We are watchmen watching over our fellow man's back. We warn our brothers. We see an enemy sneak behind a wall that our fellow man doesn't see. In the same way, when we see a brother or sister in spiritual danger, we go to them in love and tell them of the danger of, of a particular enemy. Now, this is easy to see, and we love to say this behind the pulpit. But is this really so? Do you go up to your brethren and warn them? Do you even have a relationship enough to warn them? 
We cannot really warn a brother. We don't have a relationship with them because he will not hear us. Even though I appreciate it anyway, and I will say thank you, because I realize I have many missing cogs. But, brethren, we need to do this. We say we do it, but do we really do it? We say we live together in community and we, because of that reason, but do we really do it? I see many struggling brothers, and I fail too. And I'm sometimes struggling too, where brothers don't see that and they don't come to me, and me vice versa. But it is something that we can do. That's what watchmen do. They look out for each other. They recognized their enemy for who they were. These were great threats to their work and needed to be kept away. We need to recognize our daily enemies that sets us back spiritually, sidetrack our vision, cause disorder in the church, ruin our relationship with brothers and sisters, or completely take our vision away. What is our common enemy? Number one is yours truly, but let's get practical. What are our enemies? Different brothers see different things, so we need to listen to our brother. We need to recognize and keep the right perspective in everything we do. Sometimes the bigger picture is not really obvious. The present often looks complicated or unfulfilled. It often seems we are doing very little for the kingdom. If we look to Christ and have a relationship with him, we will not immediately see the bigger picture, but we'll look back on our lives and see growth, wisdom, and maturity in the Lord. They were ready to defend themselves from the enemy. We need to defend ourselves from our enemy by soaking ourselves in the word and prayer. How can we even recognize, mind you, fight the enemy without being filled with his spirit? I would dare venture to say our greatest enemy, one of our greatest, is this. You all know what it is. You all know what it represents. It's, this is a tool. We all use it for so many things. But all of us have probably besetting sins with certain things that it can do. We might be sitting on Facebook too many times, watching videos, looking at what the friends are doing, looking at Instagram and getting carried away and, and uh, waiting for thumbs up or thumbs down and see what people are thinking and watching movies that desensitize us. The enemy has a plan, and he can easily do and accomplish that plan with, with these enemies. A lot of people of God have decided to keep them away, these tools. They know they're, they're good tools, but they decide it's not worth it. I've decided I'm going to keep them from my children until they're at a mature age. But let's recognize these enemies. If we take the responsibility of a smartphone, we also have the responsibility to warn each other, to keep ourselves accountable with these things. We cannot just leave it alone. I know there's many young people struggling with things that they're watching on their phones. Time goes by, they lose so much precious time. They lose who their identity in Christ. They fall on their face before God and they're powerless. 
for the things that they're doing with their phones. I know why, because I'm there. I've been there. I'm, I'm a mere man like all of you. It's a common enemy. What are we going to do about it? Brethren, we cannot just leave everything open. We have to make certain roadblocks. If we can't do it as a brotherhood, let's at least do it as a family. To keep your young people away from these enemies. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I keep saying they were united in their vision for the kingdom. They were united in their vision. What does that mean? What is our vision for the kingdom? Do you personally have a vision? Do you personally have something in your mind that you think it should, the church should look like, the body of Christ should look like? Officially, uh, Richard could share our vision for a church. We have one. He could share it, and it's good to keep sharing it. We should again. But do we remember it? Is it personal? Do you know what our vision is as a church? Do you know what you are as a Christian, what your job is in the kingdom? We can easily forget that vision. That is why it's so imperative that we personally have one and that we keep having dialogue about that vision. And I was meditating on this this morning. What is my vision as a church? And I wrote down some of the things that come to mind. And maybe after I'm not speaking, some of you can share some greater visions. And I'm sure I missed a lot of them. But I think I have some important ones here that I personally have as a vision for the church is to build up brethren and equip them for the work of the kingdom. To build up brethren and equip them for the work of the kingdom. To raise up biblical standard and show the world around us what that looks like. Not to try to come to the world's level of debauchery and ungodliness, to try to reach the world. A lot of Christians think they have to become like the world, dress like the world in order to reach the world. That's not true. It changes every year. We need to raise the standard. Christ is the chief cornerstone. That doesn't change, but we change all the time. Cultures change over time, and our culture is probably going to change, but Christ will not change, and he is the, the cornerstone. Next one is to raise godly families in a protected environment where different brethren can speak into their lives daily. Not only how we raise our children, but how our personal relationship with God is. Some Christians take offense that other people reach into their families. Brethren, I want you to reach into my house. Reach in and warn me. And I'm serious. If you see something on how I'm raising my children, please tell me. I guarantee you I will thank you. I don't have it figured out. I've got a big family. I need all your help. And I take inspiration from a lot of you. Point 
point four, to come together daily for encouragement in singing and sharing the word of God. Five, to provide godly work environments for our young people and old people that are conducive to godliness. These things are all important to me. Point six, to live in an environment that brethren can share their talents in the kingdom where other brethren can take advantage of them too. Not to use their talents just for themselves, to make money just for themselves and their own families. To live in an environment where no family, no one family struggles for monetary living necessities while other brethren live in access. These are just some practical things where my vision is. Finally, in building the wall. Building a wall together is not denying our faults, but acknowledging them before the brethren and repenting from them. We all have our faults. They cannot be excused away. But they need to be acknowledged before God and man so that we can repent and get it behind us. I want to read Oswald Chambers from yesterday that really spoke to me. It is pertaining to one of the greatest cracks in our church walls. The title of it was, Are You Listening to God? Then said Moses, you speak with us and we will hear you, but let not God speak with with us lest we die. We don't consciously and deliberately disobey God. We don't consciously and deliberately disobey God. We simply don't listen to him. God has given his commands to us, but we pay no attention to them, not because of willful disobedience, but because we do not truly love and respect him. If, we, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Once we realize we have, we have constantly been showing disrespect to God, we will be filled with shame and humiliation for ignoring him. You speak with us, but let not God speak with us. We show how little love we have for God by preferring to listen to his servants rather than to him. We like to listen to personal testimonies, but we don't want God himself to speak to us. Why are we so terrified for God to speak to us? It is because we know that when God speaks, we must either do what he asks or tell him we will not obey. But if it is simply one of God's servants speaking to us, we feel obedience is optional, not imperative. We respond by saying, well, that's only your own idea. That's your opinion. Even though I don't deny that what you have said is probably God's truth. Am I constantly humiliating God by ignoring him? while he lovingly continues to treat me as his own child. Once I finally hear him, the the humiliation I have heaped on him returns upon me. My response then becomes, Lord, why was I so insensitive and obstinate? Why is always the result once we hear God, but our real delight in finally hearing him is tempered with the shame we feel for having taken so long to do so? Amen. That really spoke to me. Because I could really relate to it. In closing, I want to read these verses in Philippians 2. They go along very well with this opening chapter. Philippians 2.1 if, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strive or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Amen.